0: like the nuts and bolts of it for sure i want to try to keep it as original as possible if i can uh i'm going to be the one that voices things and stands up for it and when i can because ultimately if nobody does that the sport is going to really start changing tremendously
1: hey there hi there ho there welcome back to king of the ride podcast I am Ted King, your host today and always so long as there is not another guest host on this podcast. A Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays and a very, very Happy New Year to you all. Not sure when you're listening to this podcast, but I am sending good tidings to you in this recording here in the final days of 2020. It has certainly been one for the ages. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been listening to a lot of podcasts here lately. And they're all assessing the year that is now nearly in the rearview mirror, 2020. The year that many would be perfectly happy to put into the dumpster and, and light it on fire. This is the 18th podcast of the year. This is the 13th podcast of King of the Ride, A.H., that is, after the birth of Hazel. I believe I once promised early in the year to do as many as I could once parenthood arrived that has been the case. I did as many as I could. Perhaps not as many as expected, but 13 is a pretty good number. In any event, new listeners to King of the Ride or old, I really appreciate you tuning in. More to the point, coming up on today's podcast is Jay Petervery, a longtime legend in the sport of ultra endurance cycling. Name an event and he has done it. He has won it or just as likely he has set the course record. From the granddaddy of them all, the tour divide. There's the wild trip into the wilderness in the Iditarod Trail Invitational up in Alaska, for which he has a fascinating 2021 event lined up. He was uh, my source of information, my beta, at the Arkansas High Country Race that I took part in this fall. An event for which he grabbed the solo record in his first attempt at it, the FKT, this summer. Jay has ripped across the Colorado Trail, the Arizona Trail. He has a crazy story about the now defunct Route 66. There's the time he rode clear across the country as a solo ram rider. Folks, Jay has got some stories, and he's ready to tell them. Perhaps you've noticed there's a transition right now taking place in gravel. As more riders, more racers are coming to the sport, more sponsors, more, more everything, more, let's call it, quote, unquote, professionalism even if maybe that's not the right word for it. There is a similar movement taking place and probably has been taking place for a longer time in the sport of bikepacking. So we're going to talk about the rules in and around these inherently grassroots events, gravel racing, bikepacking, and what that means for the future of these sports. I'm going to keep this intro short because there is a lot to cover in this conversation with Jay. I hit the record button early on, so let's just segue right into the conversation with how the pandemic has gone for the both of us in these strange, strange times. Ladies and gentlemen, Jay Peterberry. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think I think what you're alluding to is you need to you need to shake up the norm every now and again.
0: Yeah, allows for everyone to reset, and, you know, it really made me kind of dig down a little bit and think back and understand, you know, just kind of a reset and think about what you're doing. And I think it's really easy, especially as athletes like ourselves, we get used to this lifestyle. And um, I've always considered myself pretty lucky. Um, We all work hard at what we do. Sometimes I feel like I'm spoiled with what I do to be able to just live this lifestyle mm-hmm. so it'll all of a sudden maybe take away some of that or just uh make you look at it differently I think is a good thing and um i've I've personally grown from it and I'm still growing from it
1: yeah. I like it I like it good philosophy so okay, taking a step back we have we have a mix of cyclists of all types who listen into the podcast and then plenty of folks who don't ride bikes at all. Uh, so let's start at the very top. Let's pretend someone bumps into you into Jay Pettivary in the elevator, obviously in a pre or post COVID era, you're a friendly looking dude. When they, when they bump into you and they ask, Hey, their friend, what do you do? What do you say? And and let's pretend you got 10 floors or
0: less on the elevator. (laughs) I say that I I work within bike, uh-huh. and I loosely allude to, depending if I see the conversation is going to go further or not. I yeah. loosely say, uh, I play an athlete role, but I really try to be an ambassador with what I do in sport. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna dig into
1: that over the course of this conversation. Um, I think you're being humble because. Because when I look at a list of your palmares, and I'm, I'm going to paint a little little JP picture here, we got ten time Iditarod Trail champion, and for those on on well not champion, I've done it eleven times. Okay, okay. In a bit. <laughs> All right, done it eleven times. Uh, well, yeah, and that is to say, it's a what three hundred and fifty mile trek across the the Alaskan wilderness in the winter. Is that right? Give or take. Yeah.
0: Four times I went a thousand miles to Nome. So I always say it's a 350 mile kind of, they have checkpoints for that 350 miles. If you decide to go a thousand, uh-huh. you are kind of on your own, more or less, and the organization kind of steps away. And that's when um, the real adventure begins. Wow. And I've done that four times. I've won it several times, set the record on it, traveled uh-huh. with my wife on it. On uh-huh. the um, thousand. Yes. Uh, my wife is the only woman that has gone North and South on the thousand mile route. Um, Good and yeah, so we've done it together. And then in one of my, uh, competitive episodes, I left her at about a couple hundred miles from the finish to go chase down first place and take the win. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Okay. Okay. So, and this doesn't, uh, FYI, this year will be my 12th year, and I am uh, taking along a 15-year-old with me. Far out.
1: Uh, Is this a lucky individual who won a golden ticket, or is this your neighbor and buddy and you're uh, uh, familiar with his accomplishments?
0: So uh, uh, something I'm very thankful for with pandemic, it it definitely uh, alleviated my schedule and it allowed me to take on a mentorship training of this 15 year old Nika kid. So it turned onto some training for Nika cross country stuff, but he has a deep appreciation and curiosity for long distance riding. And I took him on, he had a goal to do this local 450 mile bike pack race. And I was helping him prepare for that. And I said, Jacob, why don't we just do this together? because uh-huh. I want to see you successful. I don't want to see you go through all the, you know, there's so many nuances with bike packing. I was just like, let's do this together. And I just kind of looked over him and did it with him. Um, learned a lot. We were actually second overall. And then he did so well. I was going to go down and do this. I was planning to do this thing called the Utah Mixed Epic, which was an 800 mile bike pack race two weeks later. Uh-huh. And that was going to be a solo thing. That was a JP thing. I was whatever, just motivated to do that, race it. And I was just like, gosh, I had such a good time. This kid's doing so well. Let's go do this. So then we went and did 800 miles, which was awesome. Uh-huh. And of course, we finished it with a bunch of different things going on, x-rays, broken bikes, the whole nine yards. But we still, of course, because that's a number one thing for me, is finishing. And yeah. so we finished. Taught him that. And then um, he's always been curious. Uh, you know, he's a neighbor of mine. I've been watching him commute to school in front of my house all winter long. And I, I finished up that ride. And I was so proud of him. And I knew he was going to do my fat pursuit event this year. Mm-hmm. He was going to come camp this year. So I knew what his future was looking like. And then I was like, I bet you he would really like to go to Alaska if I asked him. And so I just, you know, it's different for me because I don't have children Mm -hmm. and I don't spend a lot of time around kids. So it's been fun for me to learn and how to just hang out with a kid and teach and be a kid and, you know, entertain his goofiness and all that stuff. Um, So, but I, I, I actually, I had it in my brain. I was like, you know, I really want to give this guy this experience. He has it. I see it in him. And so I first asked his parents. I didn't ask him. I asked his parents. I said, hey, I think what, what about this? Uh, not really. They don't really know what to do with Jacob because he's just so, he's a 15-year-old that wants to go do this crazy stuff. Yep, yep. And so they don't know what to do. And so I said, I said, Derek, would you mind if I asked Jacob to join me? And he's like, I'll support whatever he wants to do. And I said, okay, noted. I said, I don't know if I'm going to ask him or when I'm going to ask him. I just wanted to know that from you. And then I carried on, and uh, I emailed the race director of Iditarod, super good friends of mine. I know the community pretty well, blah, blah, blah. I just uh, explained to him uh, this unique situation and responsibility I wanted to take on in all of this. And he said, I would never let anyone do this, but I will let you do this. (laughs) And I said, okay, well, let me think about this. I still need to think about it, make sure I'm doing the right thing by asking. And then finally, I I did ask uh, before I went to Baja. I went to Baja in November. (laughs) And before I left, I presented him the question. And he's just such a mature 15-year-old. He was like, wow. And he thought on that. I said, "Well, just discuss it with your parents. You let me know." And then before I left, he just texted me nicely and said, "I would love to join you in Alaska." I said, "Okay, we'll put those pieces in place." Yeah. <laughs> so you
1: two are going to tackle the three fifty or the thousand.
0: So we just got an announcement the other day. So I was going to make this my last year, a thousand, and kind of say I'm done with Iditarod. Um, so with covid I already dumbed down to the 350 because i was just like this seems weird because of all the village tra- uh interaction oh, sure. and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so we just got an announcement a couple of days ago a letter from rd there is no thousand mile race this year and simple. there is going to be, there will be a 350 but it's going to be an out and back so it never touches the last two villages uh-huh. So a very unique thing within Iditarod in itself, this will be the only time. And on top of it all, it's 20th year anniversary. Wow. Uh, so there's a lot of pieces there, uh, that have me going back and super special with Brandon Jacobs. So. Yeah. What are the,
1: I want to touch on different topics here, but what are sticking on this one? What are the, what are the logistics
0: to get there amid COVID? Are you going to be flying? You're going to be driving. You're going to be, yeah. yeah. So we'll fly. And so, um, uh-huh. the guidelines to arrive in Alaska are, you need to show up with a negative test.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Perfect. And then other than that, they don't have the guidelines like Idaho guidelines pushed me to cancel. Well, change that pursuit. Those guidelines are different. We're uh-huh. not allowed to have gatherings of 10 or more. Uh-huh. Um, but Alaska's guidelines are much different. Uh-huh. Um, part of it is, uh, you have to show up with a negative test and a big part of the reason it has changed along with the dog race, so a little bit of back end there, the dog race has also changed to not affect the villages. You know, mm-hmm. how ironic and weird, right? You, we know how the Iditarod started, right? Yeah. It's like delivering a serum because of a pandemic. <laughs> You're kidding. Oh, I guess I shouldn't say yeah, because I don't know that. Yeah, so you know, that was to take care of a disease you know um so that's how that uh all started so um yeah so i think everything's really good i don't think COVID can really change that at this point because it's only private lodges and that's already been worked out so unless they said you couldn't get on a plane and the race director it's a new race director mind you uh is incredibly mindful in all of his um volunteers are going to be tested before they go out on the trail. So mm-hmm. he's, he's really doing his due diligence, which is uh, nice to see in here to, to really make this event go on. Um, so pretty lucky. That's huge. That's awesome. Um,
1: yeah. okay. So there you uh, have it. You're, you're going in for your, for your 12th, your dozenth edition of the editor on trail. uh, worth or set a record there for, or two. Dirty, yep. Tanza, DKXL, yep. Dirty Kanza. DKXL. Dirty Kansas Tandem. Uh, on yep. topic, who, who is your partner in, in some of your Dirty Kansas tandems? I'm guessing your wife? Uh, my wife, yep. Okay, okay. Yep. We've
0: done a lot of different things on the tandem. We've done Tour Divide on the tandem. That was our first tandem ride, was the Tour Divide. Um, ordered that bike. It arrived a month before. We never ridden a tandem and did it. Yeah. Um, we came and... In- Overall, it was an amazing experience. And ever since then, like, you know, we just like poke at different things. We've done Leadville on the tandem, uh, first once to break nine hours. We've done um, you know, DK a couple of times, and then the XL. Yeah. Um, so just kind of mix it up. Um, but yeah, so done that. Um, you know, I'm almost I'm almost fifty bike packing races deep. No kidding. Yeah. That's
1: wild. I've been bike.
0: Yeah, dude. I've been pack racing since uh, I started getting into it in '06, and I started racing it in '07. How what's what's the most you've done in a year? Um, there was a bunch of years, and I still do it today. I'll do um, I, yeah, so early years. I could do like you know a couple, one or two, and then it was like I was doing six. Like there was a year I did this thing I called it the No Idle Tour. I was raising money for um, for clean air, basically. I, so I, no idle. I, I stumbled on that. Yeah, no
1: idling cars. That's that's very cool initiative. What a dozen years, uh, a yeah. decade ago, twenty
0: Yeah. And so, um, and then there's this also this thing called um, uh, I believe they call it the Grand Slam in bikepacking. and so basically that includes doing. Um, the Arizona Trail Race, mm-hmm. Tour Divide, and Colorado Trail Race. Mm-hmm. And you need to do them all when the official starts are, so no ITTs. Mm-hmm. So resting time is equal. But what I did was I also did, like, I did a Rod 1000 before that. Mm-hmm. I won the race to Nome. I was home one week. I flew to Arizona, did the Arizona 750.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so i went from i called it the freezer to the frying pan <laughs> and it was nuts yeah but then i like and then i went and did the tour divide and then i went and did the colorado trail race and you know okay. and i'll always like fill in with just like a gravel race here or a gravel race there um you know I, I was the first one to kind of bike pack um i raced the ram route self-supported
1: right i saw uh, that uh that sounds wild
0: yeah, that was um, like one time. Before, one and
1: done.
0: Yeah, that was before Ultra Road happened. I, I, uh, I had this bug. I was like, I want to do some Ultra Road, and so uh, it was actually during the No Idol tour. Where I was raising money, and I raised a bunch of money. I built this team. And I was going to go do Ram, and then like two weeks before, I was like, This feels so weird. This is not me. This is not my style. This does not promote no idling. There's going to be a car behind me the whole time. This is a ton of money. What a waste. I took all the money, donated it to the nonprofit, and then I said, I could do this thing for like a couple thousand bucks. I don't need 30,000. And so I started 24 hours before the solos went off, and I did it self-supported and slept on the side of the road, and I still did it under the official RAM cutoff, which is 12 days, Uh so 3,000 miles totally on my own and i came back from that being like whoa that was weird and you know <laughs> kicking off 300 miles a day just like on my own eating out of gas stations and um i got a couple of i didn't really like talking about that that feat that i did that challenge because like it was kind of dangerous and i didn't want to promote that i just felt like it was a dangerous thing yeah. and so i just kind of like kept it on the down low a little bit and like, but I got some phone calls and this and that. And the guy that started the Trans Am bike race, which still exists today, was like, Jay, what do you think? We want to start like a bike pack road. And I was like, Nathan, man, don't do it. People are going to die. You kidding me? Personalities like myself. And now you're going to set us up as a race to rip each other's legs off. I said, we're going to be pushing each other's limits on these highways. I was like, dude, people are going to die. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And fast forward. How many years later? I don't know how many people died on that route. No kidding. Yeah. On Trans Am. So
1: Trans Am still yep. exists. Is that
0: correct? That is Trans Am bike race. It still exists. Um, you know, there's like, uh, you know, the one that Mike Hall died, ironically enough, uh, Mike Hall started, um, uh, tra- uh, gosh, what the heck was it? Tran. It's a famous road. European bike pack race that he started. Yeah. But, my call, I mean, legend, you know, owns the Tour Divide record. Like, we're on the same scale there. But, yeah, he was doing a road, ultra road, and he got hit by a car and died. Yeah,
1: yep, yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, Trans Am was the first two
1: to, to yeah, do that. that was,
0: yeah, for the gotcha. road and things and um i made some promises and because i got the bug again it came around i was like i want to do some more ultra road you know and um but i kind of promised my wife and even some sponsors that i wouldn't do it um because it is and i know my personality and what that means out there we're we're, we're sleep deprived and it's you know you know and i, I have done like the route 66 race like yep. that was a one and done i did that from uh chicago to santa monica i won the event i I ran a full disc wheel and i was clipping (laughs) off like 330 miles a day it was ridiculous i got i hit a car i cracked my frame i split my head open and i still like went on and like i finished that race and i like told the guys that started i was like you should never do this again this is the most dangerous route ever i almost got killed like six times yeah and that doesn't exist anymore um (sighs) So i I've, I've been like kind of a guinea pig on some things. I've done some stuff over I've done the Italy divide like um all four times, maybe five times that's been going on and i won it a few times um mm-hmm. I've been out to Silk Road uh over in Kyrgyzstan a couple of times now did both yeah. of those won the first one, lost ten pounds plus on my second one, six of dogs still finished third um was over in Morocco last year for that launch of Atlas mountain race mm-hmm. um so it's, for me, it's like just such a lifestyle and one thing leads to the next and, um, my body has gotten adaptive and, and I know like, I can't, I can't do all these events. It's really tricky now because so many other people are in sport, So I can't perform at a hundred percent at all these events. I got to kind of pick and choose, but I'm okay with just going and doing them and trying to use my experience and, um, I don't need to win every event. Like it's not what it's about for me. Um, I like to compete and push myself, but I, I walk away learning so much about myself and the place and the ride and the experience. And, um, I just love doing it. Um, mm-hmm. so it's like, like people always ask like, well, you won this and, that. and Like, honestly, I forget so quickly like what the record time was, or if I want, like people know my stats better than I know my stats because it's, <laughs> that's not what I pay attention to in the end. I, I try to take away the experience and think about what that was and what did I learn that I can apply to that next thing and how can I push myself further? And that's just, so for me, it's just like such a lifestyle.
1: And so you said your first bike bikepacking event was, was 2006,
0: when I started in 2006, uh, researching doing it on my own, and then, um, and then in 2007, in 2006, uh, mid year, I decided to do the tour divide, and that would be my first go. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, the, at that time, it was called the Great Divide Race, and so, yeah. but which is funny is because I actually did that also that year, I signed up for the uh, for I did a rod mm-hmm. so. Like I did, I did a ride in February, not even thinking that was bikepacking, just like, I'm going to go do this event because like, it's kind of weird. And I was coming out of adventure racing. And so it fit my adventure racing kind of, uh, stuff. And I was like, yeah, this would be awesome. And, um, and then I was like, yeah, then I'll roll in and do this tour divide thing. So like, it's, you know, Mm, gosh, it's always so obsessive and compulsive with me.
1: So I mean, take that initial the initial window when you're segueing from adventure racing to at that point in two thousand six, two thousand seven, it's not like you're having this conscious thought of like I'm gonna become an a uh, you know, ultra distance bike rider. We talked about yeah. mountain bikes, gravel bikes, tandem bikes, road bikes. So you've obviously have this huge swath of experience. I guess sort of the question would be under the umbrella of drawing a paycheck, a livable paycheck from riding a bike, how long have you been a professional cyclist? Like how long did it take to start? Curating that to, to, to live off. Yeah, so that took bike. some
0: time. Yeah, that, that, that definitely took time because that's not me. So, like, you know, I'm a construction guy. I have a construction background. Mm-hmm. I went to school for construction management. You know, I was working construction in high school. And, you know, I took that through and I was a hustler and made a great business back east and left that to come to the hills because I wanted lifestyle. Um, Where are you back east? I was in New Jersey, born Jersey. and raised. Nice,
1: yep.
0: right on. And yeah, I left there when I was 28. Where are you right now? I'm in Idaho. I'm on the border. I'm on the border of Wyoming and Idaho, right in the Tetons. You know, Grand Teton National Park, Yellowstone National Park. Um, that's stunning. That's my zone. Yeah, I'm a little bit 6,300 feet, um, and I just go play in the hills. Um, but right on that. So that transition um, took time and it took a lot of encouragement from other people and even brands because I was just always brought up as like, you just, you work hard and I worked hard to pay for my hobbies. Like, like any kind of one does. And then, um, when I kind of made a splash in bikepacking, like I kind of entered the I entered that community with a splash because um, I was doing things pretty untraditionally right from the start. Um, I brought in gear. My approach was different. My philosophies were different, just the way I did it. So yeah, I also had results immediately, which people were like, who's this guy? What's he doing? But like, I immediately just started, like honestly started crushing it from the start. And, um, But that wasn't what made me stand out. What made me stand out was like the personality part. And I shared a lot and just, I approached things differently. And as I started to do this more and years went by, that was being noticed. And um, then uh, just people around me were saying, "Dude, you ever think about maybe trying to get sponsors? And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And then so like a bike shop invited me down to Interbike, And I ran around and I was like, Hey man, I loved your project, uh, product. I just set record on it. I don't know if you know that. They're like, yeah, we know. And I was like, cool. I'm just letting you know. And I'd walk away and just create mm-hmm. relationships. And so then I started to understand what it meant to create relationships. And then it was like this thing. I, I describe it like, wow, you really done something in your sport. It's like, if you get some free gear, great. Okay. Yeah, of course, that comes rolling in, whatever. And then you're like, oh, cool. And then you start to get a little more courage. And you're like, hey, can I get some expense money? And now all of a sudden, now if that's being offset. Now you're not spending money in your sport, um, but, but still working. And then mm-hmm. and then it came to a point like, well, fuck, dude. Like you're making a pretty big impact. You know you're selling those products. Now it started, it's time to start leveraging that and asking for money from these people. And, um, that took a lot of time to kind of learn. And so I've been probably at it full time for six this years. I did it part time. I would call it like, so it was like a transition didn't immediately be like, okay, I'm out of construction. I'm making a full time salary now in bike. It was like, I was making a part time salary in bike still hustling other things. And then it mm-hmm. came time to be like dude, your bandwidth is not there. You either need to go one way or the other here. And so then that's when I made the decision, like had the discussions with myself, my wife, and was like, okay, I'm going to go for this. I'm walking away from this and I'm investing in this. And I went through a branding process and tried to understand that. And just really was honestly, it goes back to that relationship, being very open and honest with my relationship saying, Hey man, I'm doing this for a living now. Like, I need some money and, yeah. um, and that's what it comes down to. And so, uh, um, and I still, um, find that challenging to today. You know, it's like, it's, it's a hustler's game. It's, um, you know, you're on the clock all the time and it's one project to the next. And, um, but that's okay. It's not for everyone. Um, you gotta be into it. Um, I'm not burnt out on it. Um, I just, cause I still love sport. It's just, it's, it's changing a little bit, right? Like I talked earlier about like, oh yeah, going into mentoring with Jacob. That's amazing. Um, and teaching, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get, I, I have, I get so satisfied and sharing, like even when you called sharing with you, that was amazing. Um, you know, I love doing the education part of things and giving clinics, workshops, camps, whatever, you know, and I, um, I'm working on some stuff now to really kind of start launching that more. So kind of into next year and forward, um, Mm-hmm. because the other part does take a lot of hustle. Um, and you know, unless you find that golden cool. ticket and they're there and you can get them now and again, but they're again, they're not like guaranteed forever. Right. Like <laughs> Far
1: from it. Yeah. You got to. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a hamster wheel. It is nonstop. I remember when I was first getting into the, the world of ambassadorship, which, you know, at that point calling it ambassadorship is such a nebulous term. It was my first year of not racing on the on the World Tour, and I I did an event with Rebecca Rush, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm doing this. I'm doing events. I'm talking. I'm working with companies, and and she like grabbed me by the scruff. I mean, this is literally the first time I've ever met her. She's like, this is a real thing. Like, don't mess it up. I mean, she, I I forget the words exactly. I remember exactly where we were. We were in Austin, Texas, and it it was cool how real she was from the beginning because you know, she's obviously been doing it for ages and, and it's so cool to, that she is so preeminent in her field. Yeah. So, okay. We're going to touch on a lot of things. This is going to be a kind of long winded question. Now I've spent a career. I've spent two decades in cycling. I've done hundreds and hundreds of events and races, and obviously they've been largely on the road. I've done three bikepacking events and they're kind of cool. In, in my perspective, because they cover a really diverse swath. One, I did the James Bay Ascent, which was high exposure, Winter riding, Northern Canada wilderness, 400 miles self-supported. Yep, remember that. It in a group of three, it was not a race. It was, it was uh, four of us riding this this crazy. It, it was during the polar thing. vortex.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I rode the proper. I rode the John Beargrease Trail up in northern Minnesota uh-huh. at the same time. I totally remember. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, I'm like oh, those are cool. Negative 40. That's where, <laughs> where south is
1: and fair and I intersect. Just, you know, I was so out of my element, but to be with a group of people that can instill nothing but confidence is so cool. Uh, other next event did this, this summer, the Vermont XL. So 310 miles across the state of Vermont in one go. I've never done anything even close to that. Like the longest ride I've done prior to that was 200 miles. So yeah, what's what's an extra 110. And the third one is the Arkansas high country race, which to those not in the know multi-day event by, by, the virtue of being over a thousand miles, uh, and it was a race. So, you know, these three things have opened my eyes to bikepacking as a sport. And in slowly cracking open this book, you got FKTs, you got the whole concept of what it means to be self supported, unsupported, uh, like yes. what it is to be a supported ride. It's just this hugely fascinating aspect of the sport of cycling when, you know, I have two decades in cycling and I'm like just eyes wide open and jaw gap being like, wow, this is so cool. So so getting into bikepacking and trying to learn as much as I could before going to Arkansas, I picked your brain. And like you said, like that was a really fun conversation. You were nothing but open and willing and and, and insightful. And, you know, I thought we were going to talk for 10 minutes. We talked for an hour. Thank you very much for all the help. Of course. You're welcome. You did that
0: this summer? summer 2020? I did. That was like when, um, that was just when kind of the world opened up. It was like the first time, like, mm-hmm. cause I had plans to kind of go out there anyway. In uh, June, I was doing some client stuff out there actually. And, yeah. but that was, you know, like things were still locked down. And then it was like the first time, as soon as they pulled back that one step, I was like, yeah. I'll come out there and do this. Um yeah. And so yeah, it was July. It was July fourth weekend actually. And uh And so how do
1: you how do you choose how do you choose any event? I mean it almost sounds like okay, granted twenty twenty in the year of COVID is is a year of catch as catch can. How do you how do you pick your schedule?
0: So yeah, it's it's super unique and even when I'm talking to sponsors, it's like it becomes not this straightforward conversation. Like I, I, you know, I can't just tell you what that is. So I kind of have yeah. It's like, it's the way Jay does it. And Jay has like these things floating around in his head that he kind of wants to do, can do. And he knows he could do all of them. Which one is he going to focus on and try to really nail and stuff like that. Um, and I just pick things that are like unique and fun to me and stuff that I'm driven toward. So it's like, you know and that has to come within my heart and my feelings and my brain um you know and so it, it's it's really random and a lot of it is last minute um you know i've done like tour divide deciding 2 days before and performing just fine <laughs> uh, not um, okay. So okay. and and the for the people that know me and that I've been around, they they just know that you know I could be a loose cannon on that and just like take off and go do something. Um, but you know I say this thing too. It's like you know, there's a few things that go along with you It's like one thing I like to say is like, it's good to be confident but not cocky, right? That's like one thing, and then. The other thing is too like these decisions I make they're not uneducated. They might be last minute, but like there is thought going on into these decisions. And it's all here in my brain just churning. Like there are mm-hmm. several bikes that I'm looking at in my room right here. They're being mm-hmm. prepped for some possible things down the road. <laughs> and I start to put things in place and then when it feels right I'll say I'm going to go do it. Um and when it comes to like the gravel racing thing, yeah, that's a schedule I could build. Um mm-hmm. but when it comes to the bike packing, I really am a little bit off the cuff on it. Um because I think life is so it's crazy and up and down and sporadic for me. And I'm okay with that. Some people need like super strict calendars. Like I do not. Um, and I'm not the person that's going to spend a lot of time making huge outlines to go do a video or something. Like I'm going to be like, Hey video dude, come on over. And we're just going to go do this. And that's just me and how I do it. And at this point in my life, like, I'm not going to fake that. I'm not going to like, kid around and pretend and bullshit someone and be like, Oh yeah, I'll do all this preparation. I'm gonna be like, nah, I'm not going to prepare. I'm just going to come up and do that. Okay. And, um, but like I was saying earlier, um, there is thought going into it. Um, there's experience going into it. I know what I'm capable of. Um, I know how to prepare. Like I'm not doing these things like in an unsafe fashion, or just uh you know i don't want to put anyone else at risk that was like a big thing with arkansas for me actually like i Mm -hmm. when i decided to go out there this is like okay things are like everyone's super nervous at first i thought i was just going to get a bunch of heat on social for like even leaving my house Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i was really nervous like okay yep people are going to bash me for like leaving and driving through whatever and um that didn't really happen but um It was like odd for me. And like I left and I learned a lot by leaving my house. Actually, it was awesome. Um, and I learned you can be safe at that time in these times and, um, whatever. And we're much more comfortable than we were back then, only six months ago. But, um, you know, with that ride, I was like nervous. Like it was a hundred and something degrees in Arkansas with a hundred percent humidity. Right. Like, yep, yep. and here I am, I'm like going for this SKT and like, I'm not going to take that lightly. Like, I'm not going to just go ride the FKT. Like I kind of need to go fast. <laughs> um, And like, I thought I'd go under five days. I was kind of like something in my brain. And like, I knew the other people that had the uh, current record and like, I, I didn't know what I'm capable of. And I know I'm capable of mm-hmm. in certain situations, but with those kind of temperatures and things like, like, it's really easy to become dehydrated and send yourself in a hospital in those types of conditions when you're pushing the limits like that, riding 24 hours a day, day in and day out. And you're like, it's the kind of environment where like you talk and you sweat, right? It's like so hot and disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't go to Fairbanks, Alaska in February when it's negative 60. People don't go to Arkansas in July. But here I was <laughs> there in July exactly. because. Yeah, I couldn't do it in June pandemic didn't allow me, but like my drive and my personality needed something like I needed to do something. Yeah. And I was like, I need to fulfill this void that JP needs to do. And that was by doing a hard ride. Um, yeah. and yeah. and so I did it and I, and I did it safely and I'm super proud of that. Um, because it, it was ridiculous. Um, sure. And I mean, you know. <laughs>
1: so let's talk for a minute about semantics, uh, the meaning of words. So we'll start maybe easy, maybe not. What is the definition of
0: ultra? Yeah. So um, in cycling, I don't, I don't think there is a definition. Okay. Very in, good. In, in running, there is. And so this <laughs> is where things start to get confusing. And I might see where you're going with all this. And I love the conversation. So, okay. Um, ultra in running, we know, I, I would say most people are going to say it's over a marathon. 50, yep. 50K is an ultra, 50 mile, 100 mile, ultras. That's how they talk about them. In cycling, yeah, there is no definition of it. Um, and everyone's perspectives of it is different, which I kind of like, uh-huh. and that's okay. Um, yep. So there, I would say there isn't a definition and it's going to mean, and it's going to mean something different to everybody.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, yeah. So like my 310 mile ride that I did this summer, I did it as quickly as possible because I wanted it to be done in hindsight. That would have been an amazing, like five day bikepacking trip. Don't go for the FKT, just go ride it and like enjoy the five days. But you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's just burly as heck course. So yeah, divide it up into five, do sixty miles a day. Yeah. How about is there is there like I'm I'm asking these questions as a total novice to all things bikepacking, especially from the competitive side. Is there a definition for FKT outside of purely fastest known time? Um, meaning like when do rules start getting tagged onto it? Or okay. um, so I so let me let me qualify that even more. When I did the FK, uh, when I did the Vermont XL, this three hundred mile ride it was supported so i could stop and fill up with this support crew that was filming it i didn't claim to get an fkt but basically i'm the only person to have done it so the question, someone's like hey you're claiming to set the fkt i'm like i didn't claim anything
0: like what are the the yeah. so the the surroundings yep. you know what i mean i uh-huh. know exactly what you mean so I think um, a great... And maybe it's event to event. No, it but... is. Sorry, yeah, is. I'll, I'll touch a lot of it. So, FKT, as we know, is time. and there's a style for everyone's FKT. And I think it should be noted. Like, you just don't say, this is my FKT. Like, let's, let's just, like, look over at the climbing world for a second, if we know the climbing world. Climbers... Are are pretty cool in this aspect because they they send these routes and then they will say aided, free climbs, free soloed. Um, they use these other terms, and then the nature of climbing is you. If you are looking to up the ante. Of so called FKT, you actually try to make it harder. You do it in a style that ups that. You're just not like, because it's climbing, it's not based on time. So uh-huh. this guy did it with aid. Well, this guy showed up, he did that climb, free solo. And that's how it's known. Uh-huh. And so I think. In our ultra-cycling world, if you will, bikepacking and such, when we start to look at routes, um, I think it just needs to be explained more of what you're doing. But that said, we also need to understand there are rules in some events. There is basic guidelines in some events. Um and tour divide being kind of the grandfather of it all, and people trying to replicate, follow. I even hear at events tour divide rules apply, but no one understands. Oh no way! Oh yeah, but huh. nobody as a
1: classification. We say
0: tour divide rules at so and so event. I, I've heard this from other people, and so. Got it in this world, there's, there's not a lot of clarity. And, um, and so I think it's okay for people to call out clarity. Um, And some because it is all very different. And right now, like, let's face it, like bikepacking was born as a very grassroots thing. And it really was like, no, it's just this small pot of people that really do want to just like rip each other's legs off. This isn't like this guy mm-hmm. didn't show up just to do it. Like everyone mm-hmm. here showed up because they want it. And so it got, it was yeah. really great. Um, and then of course it morphs and it's great because sport grows and so on and so forth. And, and people want on a tour and just do it and complete it. And I understand all of that stuff. But when it comes to the pointy end, there's going to be call outs. And you are going to be like, well, there's actually a rule about that. And you should just kind of look at it and understand it. And the rules aren't meant to be like really complicated. And they're also not Uh meant to be like looked into where's the loopholes. It's really pretty basic stuff. Um, There's nothing wrong there. You know, it's always terrible. Like, and you run events and stuff like that. But when you got to make a rule on top of another rule, because someone found a way to break the rule, like that just totally sucks, honestly. Yep. And and people look at that and like, whatever, but, but there really is um, some things to follow here. And it's like, I think it's done by example as well. Um, but like, and like there's a bunch going on with it. Like right now um, I, I've seen one just recently, which I thought was actually pretty cool. Um, and especially now with like social and people wanting to film things and um, all of this, which is great. I get it. It's a, it's, it's a awesome thing to attract people. It's a great thing for sponsors, promotion, understand, like I sit in those shoes, Mm -hmm. like, um, but then there's times not to do that. And if, if, if you're going for a certain time or an FKT, I think you just kind of need to dive in and understand what that really means. And if you don't want to do that, just voice and be like, yep, I understand. Like I'm not following the rules hundred percent because I'm taking a film crew and I'm putting out a movie yeah. and that movie's going to be awesome. And I'm going to inspire 10,000 more people. And like, that's awesome. Like yeah. just be forward about it. That's sweet. Don't come back and be like, Oh no, I'm doing it. And I'm claiming SKT because I'm doing it purely if that's not what you're doing. Yeah. So
1: yeah. do you think cycling needs that? Like the, the you made the great comparison to climbing. Like the and this is why I asked the definition of f k t because it it to somebody who's new to bike packing it does seem very vague' yes. do you think we need like cycling f k t aided cycling f k t unaided i mean even even like Arkansas, I think it's a totally different thing to stay in hotels, which I did admittedly as opposed to being completely self supported like at what point does that have to enter the fray
0: yeah. And I think it's, like, that's why I say, like, climbers always just claim style. Yeah. And, and there's nothing... Do you think that will be inevitable in cycling? Um, I, I think sooner or later it will be. And, like, right now we're in a little bit of a rough road, like, because, like... Yeah. One, people don't like to be called out. And then if you don't understand the rules, there's all this other sideline chatter. Because they don't even know what they're talking about. But they're just, like... Claiming one thing or another um, yeah. But you know So there's like a lot of static that happens If, if somebody does Bring something up um, You know a prime example I think about like right now Because i just seen it happen was like, like Payson's deal down at CTR Right He yep. did Colorado Trail Race um, yep. And I might even say he was doing it under the radar A little bit whatever just goes out for this FKT thing um but brings a film crew um and like i have nothing against that but like he wasn't saying that like he didn't end up being like if you were to call there is someone that runs the ctr like and if you would go to the website you'll see that and you can contact and be like hey man like i want to challenge this time and you guys can have a conversation Mm -hmm. like that's that's fine um Mm-hmm. And then he would be like, yeah, cool, man. Well, we're going to ask you to be a dot on a screen. You're going to have to sign up for track leaders, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. And then, you know, there is no support and this is what it means. And we don't allow this. And um, so, you know, I mean, Payson didn't end up being a dot until like a day later that he was already into it, which is fine. Like due hmm. to it, still learning. Great. Um, But then there's the film crew part. And I'm going to say like people like me and other originals are going to be like, well, that's support. And Mm -hmm. um others might be like oh well no it's not but like and i think to do something fully unsupported without anybody around you you will then start to really know what that means to not have anybody around you that you love or that you know it's like it's a totally different game um and And that's what some of these early races are about, the CTR being one of them. So Hefe, the guy that uh, actually is now kind of organizer, if you will, of that event, he just made a very simple rule. And I thought it was awesome. And, you know, one of the one of the simple rules is no outside assistance. No outside support. That's like one rule. And so then he just wrote down film crews are now considered outside support. And so then now that takes care of that. Like it didn't, it didn't get complicated. He just said, he made it clear to everybody that if you are going to take this on, if you are going to, if you do want the fastest time, you do want to talk about this. Like this Mm -hmm. is how we do it. And these are, this is how it's been. Um, and it doesn't mean that someone still can't go out there and do that, but I think they just need to claim their style And I love it when they do go back and say, yeah, the original rules of this is not to have this, but we're doing it this way. So so then it doesn't like put anything under the carpet. It keeps it clear for everybody that is seeing it. They see like, okay, these are actually the rules. You're not allowed to do this. But yeah, I decided to do it this way because of this. And I think that's good.
1: Uh, here's a funny specific question can you mail yourself stuff this is specific for tour divide because one of the rules is you know you can only any services utilized must be always no must always be commercially available for all challengers and not prearranged you can mail yourself yourself to
0: post offices
1: got it can you stop I mean I have a thousand questions because I the tour divide is certainly intriguing you can stay in lodges and stuff too right absolutely like you're not always camping okay yeah i mean
0: like i was i'm definitely one of those guys like because i love strategy i i I love these events because they're they take strategy and like you can outsmart yeah (laughs) like whatever like that's just part of it. it's not this isn't meant to be like just strong man but there was a time like like definitely in my early years i mean i've done that divide thing i think i don't know six or seven times but the, first, like, the very first time I did it, I set the record. And then, um, uh-huh. and then it was like, I talked to my buddies that are kind of in that, that top little pod there, and I'd be like, ah, next time I'm going to do it with no hotels, you know? And like, that would just be conversations amongst ourselves. And, um, and I think that's cool. And so we just try to one-up each other, you know? Ah, I'm going to do it next time with no hotels, you know? Like, I even talked to my one friend uh-huh. who started kind of Tour Divide, Matthew Lee. I'm like, next time I want to try to do it with no GPS, I want to try to do it off my brain um so there's all these different things and like Mm -hmm. i think we all do it for our own personal challenge is why we set Mm -hmm. ourselves up for that stuff but if you're really into it and like looking to set the record like yeah for sure strategy helps and you can stay in lodges you can stay in hotels you can mail yourself stuff um something it does get a little gray um (sighs) because so I've been involved with this since before technology. So it gets mm-hmm. weird um, in a way that we used to use pay phones to call, put a quarter in, call a hotline. Hey, this is JP. I'm down here in Del Norte. I had a wonderful day. You give a little heads up and that's it. So no one knows where you're at. I thought that was beautiful. You know, with today's doc, it's yeah. terrible because everyone knows where you're at. Even your Sure. which I was super yeah. grumpy about when, that started being mandatory. I was like, I don't want people knowing where I'm at. I said, and what, what sport do you know where your competition's at? I was like, this is terrible. Now everyone has smartphones. And like, I was a late adopter to the smartphone and people would be like, Oh, I know where Jay's at. I mean, I didn't know where people are at, but it's just a different thing. And so like, that was a little gray, but now that's all fine, whatever. And people just do that. And we know that. So, um, yeah, But some people will question, can you call early, ahead of time? What do you mean, can you call early? Like, and I know it's done, um, but some people, I don't know, like, everyone will have a different, especially us, say, maybe original people and older fellows that have been around it. Like, meaning, like, you, you're going to call ahead to get something to go.
1: Oh. so that's, are you saying that's a gray area thing
0: that's a gray area everyone's gonna have a little bit of a different opinion on it and ultimately it's not gonna like affect things but depending on who you're talking yeah. to and how pure they are they're gonna be like dude man you shouldn't be doing that you know? Yeah, and, yeah, you know yeah that's just a small thing it's not gonna like break it or make it but that's how nitpicky it can start to get and like i don't want to uh-huh. be that person like that is like that nitpicky but they're like 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 the nuts and bolts of it for sure i want to try to keep it as original as possible if i can uh i'm going to be the one that voices things and stands up for it if i and when i can um because ultimately if nobody does that the sport is going to really start changing tremendously which i
1: mean it's there's the perfect segue or the whole reason i've asked it i mean you know i'm i'm I hate using the term competitive gravel mm-hmm. because it seems like a silly term, but let's just use it for the sake of a definition. It, it, we're we're in a burgeoning world of competitive gravel right now. And that's, you know, where I'm sort of hanging my hat uh, at this point in my career as I sort of dip my toe into, into bikepacking. I mean, who knows if I'll ever do an event again because my hands are still tingly <laughs> six weeks later. Crazy. Uh, you know, I think, I think you can probably see the strong ties, between competitive gravel and the spectrum and direction that bikepacking has taken over your time for the past two decades. Um, And it, it's so hard because as much as I feel like you say there are, it would be nice to have rules black and white. I feel like so many of them do just end up being on a spectrum of interpretation, Um, especially because it is event to event. And, you know, you might have individual time trial versus, the fact, the actual start, uh, in a, in a mass start, I mean, you know, in gravel, we see it with like, is teamwork legit spouses, help with spouses. I think there's an inherent nature and danger of harrow bars. And then it'd be so nice to have like the rule number one of just don't be lame, which perfect rule, but it's open to infinite interpretation. Yeah. Um, I mean, how did, so now with the experience that you have from two decades in bikepacking, how do you recommend gravel help govern itself in this young fluid, fluid stage that it's in?
0: It's it's, um, well, one is there's these organized events that have a set of rules. So that's pretty straightforward. Um, the events aren't like, and are
1: you cool? Therefore, with it being like event a might have a slightly different set of rules than event B. Yeah. And you got to like, really like,
0: look at that. And in bikepacking, it's definitely like that because, um, you can't say, and it's like, everyone wants to keep referencing this tour to vibe because it is the granddaddy, but like, you know, like when you sign up for silk road mountain race and people are like, yeah, I'm going to go do that bike pack race. Well, you're going to get like a 10 page manual with the rules like literally a lot of it's insurance Mm -hmm. responsibility, stuff like that. But this is, that's an organized event and it talks about media, no media allowed. We have our own media people here. So, you know, that is a bikepacking race, but that is a much different bikepacking race than the tour divide. Uh Um, (laughs) And, um, and then there's hybrids of such. And, you know, Um, There is no organizer of the Tour Divide, but yet there still is one hanging on with the CTR. Um, The Arizona trail race recently has been left to be by itself. Um, How do you mean that? Is there an organizer for Arizona or no? There was. And now there's just a date. And there's just, uh, I don't even know if he left the webpage up or not. And it just lets it be. You know, because there was a time where the person that was running said events would answer questions for people, modify the GPX track in case you couldn't go down that trail. Now that stuff is like Mm -hmm. just up to the individual. Um, Ah. So, you know, a looser style, but still following these ethics, if you will. Um, And there is going to be some stuff written down on each page, but I think each one is different. And then when we look at gravel, I think it's it's the same thing. Our, these events are so complex and so big anymore. There are a bunch of rules, and um, mm-hmm. you you've seen that change. And you know, um, yeah, the dirty, you know, or the unbound. Like it didn't always have a bunch of rules. Um, uh-huh. Just by nature of growth, it had to start having them. Um, and I guess that's just human nature. And growth in general, and trying to keep a fair field, and all this stuff. And that's why we can't just like throw out, let's not be lame. You know, those are like JP's kinds of rules. Like, you look at my events, and that's like what my rules say. Um, Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with managing situations, but, uh, you know, my events aren't that huge where it's like I'm going to deal with like thousands of people. Um, So it really comes down to like what's the bandwidth of the race organizers and what are they willing to accept? I mean, the overall thing is with gravel, it's, it's done an amazing thing for cycling and watching, um, the, the growth in it and the people that wouldn't typically ride. So it still has that, um, it still has that flavor for sure. For all these kind of call it, say newbie riders or people that just want to challenge themselves and recreational cyclists. And, and, and that will, I think still always be there. I, I don't think I've seen that lost. Um, even with uh a lot of the competitive field coming in all of a sudden um, I, that that still remains in, in at least most of the, all the events that I've been to um, and yeah. and that's great um and that said there's also starting to be i there's starting to be a little bit of confusion now also because uh organized gravel events are getting longer in distance. Um, you know, like the hundred you know, the two hundred is like a common thing anymore, right? Like, oh, right, oh you don't right, have a right. two hundred mile distance, <laughs> like yeah. Um, but with that said, like, you know, XL three fifty, like there are people sniffing out that as a day ride, like or mm-hmm. you know, whatever that time limit is, um, you know, based on that ten mile an hour gravel cutoff. And so and I was pretty forward at the start of XL like when we were thrown, well you guys decide what the rules are, I was very um particular with how it was being worded. Like is this mm-hmm. a self-supported? Is this an because it was being pitched as an unsupported event. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Can we have some clarity what that means? Because I come from a background where unsupported means you cannot draft. And that became a subject. And ultimately some people seen where I was coming from and agreed with me. And then some people just thought I was outright crazy. And that's fine. They just didn't quite understand what that world is like, but like there, there needs to be clarity in that. And the one thing, um, I will pay attention to, um, and maybe slight not really uh, concerned would be the wrong word but as we start to see these cuz i think i just seen did i just see gravel world the pirate guys launch a 300 i think so yeah okay so i think so okay so as i see this stuff um you know i will just kind of pay attention a little bit because i also say a lot of these especially recreationalist riders and weekend riders and stuff honestly a ton of them are doing gravel riding because they want to be bike packers and they are using these gravel events as confidence boosters as can I ride this distance, but they really have desires to do these bike pack events and longer, bigger, mm-hmm. let's, let's not argue more fun rides. Um, uh-huh. so, but then that's where, there could start to be a little bit of confusion when it comes to rules, because if you sign up and you, you've all of a sudden done DKXL, awesome. awesome. Um, okay. This pirate thing's coming up. What are the rules there? And then, okay. Like you feel really ready. You've always wanted to be this aspiring bike packer. And you're like, well, I'm going to go do tour divide now. And you're with your buddies and you're just like, yeah, let's like draft through this section and let's do this. But it's like, well, that's actually, you can't do that there. Um, Is that
1: explicit in the rules at, yeah. at Tour Divide? Yeah, yes, yes.
0: Um,
1: which, which Let's paint a picture to our fair listener. Like I said, a lot of folks who listen to this, yep. if you're not a bike rider in the first place, you probably have already hit next podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of folks, myself included, until only recently in the past few months realized that, TourDivide, what, tour, TourDivide.org, I think is the website, is a website that looks like it has not been upsa- updated since about 2012, 2010. On purpose. I mean, give or take. Like, on purpose. Right, on purpose. It is purposefully left vague, and yet there is there is a section that says rules, Yeah. and, you know, those are the Ten Commandments. Um, and it's, I mean, maybe for reasons X, Y, and Z, like I don't blame anybody <laughs> wearing a race promoter hat myself. I understand why no one would want the liability but and the accountability and you know, again, X, Y, and Z. It's it's cool how vague it is and how it is even with these rules governed by the people, by the racers, by the OGs. Um there was a person who wrote those original rules.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Is that purely Mike Lee?
0: Uh, uh, Matthew Lee. Yeah. And at the time, definitely, um, he was more involved in a racer himself. And then Mm -hmm. at a time we also said like there might've been some, uh, loosely knitted board members. And so it wasn't a hundred percent him. Um, it was definitely Mm -hmm. a bit of feedback, uh, Mm -hmm. with that stuff. And I talked to Matthew quite a bit still. Um and we talked about Is him. he still involved in cycling? Um not really. He still rides, but you know, he's got a family, a different life, and he runs track leaders, just a totally different thing. Right. Um but yep. you know, he um he manages some of these situations pretty well. He still answers a lot of stuff, but he also doesn't answer a lot of stuff. And, you know, he's been, by, he's been <laughs> approached by sponsors. He's been approached by movies. He's been approached by different things and says, no, we don't want to have anything to do with this. And there will never be a fee for this. These are the rules. And no, I don't need your web, website expertise and we don't need to redo this. And there's plenty of that. And there are a lot of people that kind of run it. Um, and it's, the, it's community run you know there's like Uh you can find like every year somebody puts out like a google doc and it goes up to like uh you know the facebook group page and you could sign up or whatever and like you know i'm the Uh guy that like chimes in every once in a while and says hey this is an fyi you don't need to sign up um and so the community does run it and um the community does respect the rules and um they will just like kind of point things out as things go. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's how that runs, but that's such a unique thing. And that's why I think, um, some of these events and stuff, uh, it, it does get a little confusing because everyone keeps referencing that tour divide, but honestly, there's nothing like it. No other event yeah. is like it. Um, yeah. and it, and it's, it's on its own. um, so I, I don't know if everyone qu- quite understands that, but yet when everyone talks about bike packing, what's a common route that comes up or a name? Tour de France. <laughs> right. Oh, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's seemingly the Tour de France, right? Yeah.
1: If you talk about bikepacking, that's, that's the one that comes up. Yeah. And I think my purpose in having this conversation is I w- I am still, I have hardly touched the iceberg. I can see the iceberg in the distance. Like I, there's so much of this that I want to learn whether I experience it or not is who the heck knows. But without this conversation, it's all sleuthing on the internet. It's all finding some form and it's so cryptic. So it's like, it, it's nice to have this conversation so that I can learn a little bit and hopefully you can share a bit and people can hear this and this perpetuates what, what that community
0: is yeah i i mean i love so, it I, I mean i love to try to be an ambassador for sport and i love to talk about it and field any questions and it's just it's just who i am and like i talked to matthew lee and i'm like hey man this situation came up like what are we going to do about this or like do you think we should like maybe add one more sentence to these rules and i'm like matthew what's going to happen when me and you die
2: uh-huh
0: Yeah, and, and so that, that's what I look for. I'm like, can it can you use one more sentence? Well, you know, what does it mean? And and so we still have those conversations. But um, but yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, man, it is so fascinating. Like every sport,
1: every sport changes. I'm a hockey player. Goalies used to not be able to drop down on their knees. They had to stop everything standing up. Okay. But basketball players? You weren't allowed to dunk for a while. Like yeah. Sports. It's it is fascinating how sports morph and over enormous era periods of time. I mean it's and and we're looking at a booming gravel is booming and bikepacking I don't think will boom with the same pure numbers just because it is such a much bigger leap of faith to purchase the equipment, like additional equipment or or take the leap of faith of sweeping outside and,
0: and bearing elements. Yeah, I mean bike same, racing is growing bike pack racing might yeah. not boom but Bike packing itself recreationally, for sure. Because I mean, um, anybody who backpacks, mm-hmm. which is a pretty big group of people, can also that uh, you can still reach those numbers in bike packing. I think.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. I think both are booming, and it's just a series of what. With
0: what relativity? Okay. Especially with routes being yep, every day, being ticked off. Sure.
1: Uh, okay. Kyrgyzstan, first things first, how long did it take you to learn how to spell it? Because I'm pretty sure I still
0: don't know how to spell it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I don't know if I could rattle it off right now or not. <laughs> it takes anyway, a lot of people a long time to figure out how d's. to say it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, the Silk Road Mountain Race. Amazing.
0: You won the inaugural edition, is that correct? That's correct. One of my most memorable events I've ever done.
1: In, in a Bikepacking.com article, you say that it's the hardest event you've ever done. Um, the, clearly, if somebody has listened an hour and, and change into this conversation, they understand that you're not, a, uh, you're not an office cubicle junkie, so you like an adventure.
2: Absolutely.
1: Something like going to Kyrgyzstan is going to be so daunting and unfathomable to to so many people that they wouldn't even consider it. I mean the logistics, the element of the unknown on food, on travel, on flights, on you know, your bike arriving in a million pieces. You called it the hardest race you've ever done. What would be any other superlative uh, where, where the Silk Road stacks up? Craziest. Most brutal, stupidest, most fun.
0: So all those things that you mentioned
1: Mm -hmm.
0: were exactly why I went Uh because yeah, it was a foreign travel. It was Kyrgyzstan. Anything with the name Stan in it, people tell you to stay home. Uh Um, So I was super nervous and that's, that's what excited me. And um, it was very remote. It was a new route. I love new routes. I love, I love doing things that don't have a lot of information Um, I want to be able to figure them out on my own. Um, and I don't want to be reading about it. Like I want to do like the hard work and dive in. Mm -hmm. And that event allowed me to do that. Um, and it truly, it it filled so many things that I was missing that I didn't get in a long time because of Mm -hmm. bike pack changes. Um, so, I mean, (laughs) You know, like, I carried all my own food for a week. Yeah, that's bananas. Did you, did you have to
1: rely on all of your own food or did it turn out there were places that you could have resupply? It,
0: it turned out there was, there was some, but it gave me the confidence uh-huh. to like, like I could be like, like I knew when I left that start line, I was so prepared and like pretty confident in myself. I was like, I could be out here for a week and I will be fine. Uh huh. Um, and it's so vast and so big, Uh it makes you feel so small. And I love that feeling. I get the same feeling when I'm in Alaska. Yeah. Um, and there's just something I I would do this most every day. And I do this in these big events that overwhelm me like this, where I just stop and I'd be like, this is amazing. I have everything I need though. And I am the luckiest person in the world Mm -hmm. and nobody else is standing here. I don't know where the next person is.
2: Mm -hmm. I
0: can't, you know, I see nothing for Mm -hmm. miles. Um, And that's hard to get um, in our lives. And even in an adventurer's life. It's mm-hmm. hard to get, especially after you've done so many events and been so many places and traveled and think you've been into remote spots to like try to get there again is really hard.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, um, and it's stuff I look for. Um, and, and it was, it was truly the most challenging, most satisfying event, too. I did that thing on a gravel bike. Yeah. That was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I, I mean, did you see my shoes, Ted? Yeah, 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 destroyed. Like, there's no toes. It's crazy. No toes.
1: So, I look at pictures from the event, and like you say, it is vast. It is enormous. It is barren. It is wild, right? I mean, no better word for it than just wild. And I think in the same context of Alaska, where, yeah, when you're in the middle of nowhere, not coming from experience, you are out there. So when you're talking about doing it on a bone-drying gravel bike, have you ever had any mechanical bike catastrophes that actually do make you nervous? You know, you can fix flats, you can break fix chains, derailleurs, etc. Have you ever done something that truly scared you?
0: Um, you know, I've had some stuff during that Kyrgyzstan race. One of the most, one of the biggest things I'm proud of.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I fixed um, no less than three to four flats a day. Cool. I was patching tubes every single day all day long. And I did it with the utmost, like most being so calm and collective about it. I was like, Oh, there I go again. Mm-hmm. I double flatted and blew my tubeless on the very first descent. And I was like, huh, wow. I'm going to run this whole event with tubes. Now this is going to be terrible. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I did that the whole entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to still come out the way I did was amazing. Um, and I don't really talk about that all that much, but like little things like that are awesome. Um, uh, I broke I broke a frame once, but I still wrote it to the finish. Mm-hmm. That was when I did uh, um, um, that Route 66 ride. The very first night I smacked a car Yep. Blew, out the, um, blew out the bottom cup of the head tube and cracked the down tube all the way down. The bike would shake at like high 20s. Um, <laughs> but I continued to ride that to the finish. And then um, I fixed a bike with threaded rod through the rear axle. Nowadays, designs of bikes, they keep making them simpler and cleaner, but they're not nearly as reliable. And when you are threading your through axle into a derailleur hanger that can fall off your bike, you're kind of, it's kind of a bummer
2: uh-huh. should
0: still be threading frames actually. Um, uh-huh. but anyway, that design is not failproof. And, um, so I lost that in a race. My whole rear end was spreading apart. And oh, so man. I slipped a threaded rod through the through axle with some washers and got that back together to finish. Oh, that's bad. Um, that's, that, that was a pretty cool fix. Um, you know, I've shredded pedals for sure. I've gone through Alaska, uh, breaking three pedals in one ride, um, had them sent to me along the route. Um, wow. I was riding with a guy once where I, <laughs> I sheared a pedal and, I never said a thing to him and we were traveling and one day he's like, "Jay, hey, what are you doing? And I had the, the body attached to my shoe. And what I would do is I would slide my shoe onto the spindle. I've
1: to seen keep riding. Yeah. That's a
0: good move. <laughs> and so I did that for two days. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that that's move. just like adapting and like, um, and that really, I think, is a part of bikepacking. It's really created who I am, and um, it gets you through that stuff. And um, it's really good to kind of just, like, handle those situations and don't make them bigger or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've learned a lot of life lessons through bikepacking, mm-hmm. and one of them is, is, like, it's easy to make a challenging or hard situation worse. It's so easy to blow those things up the challenge and hard thing to do is to make those situations easier. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to just kind of deal with them on my own, stay silent about it. And really just, uh, instead of getting mad at it and stuff like that, just deal in a more relaxed way. And I wasn't always like that. Um, that that has taken a lot of time. Um, I, I think it was only a couple of years ago that I learned patience. (laughs) The virtue my mom's been telling me that since I was a
1: kid. So you, those who know, you know that you are a tinkerer when it comes to your equipment. You've also talked about a little bit. That. You don't want to, you're perfectly fine. Like you're not trying to be a weight weenie. You're not trying to, to underpack. So no, in preparing for, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. What are your absolutes? What are your necessities? You sort of hit on one. If you're going to be patching tubes in Kyrgyzstan for four days, you bring in a ton of yeah. patch kits. What are some other things that people aren't thinking of?
0: And always glue. Just don't bring tube. Just don't bring uh, glueless patches. You got to bring glue. Yeah. Um, you know, rain gear is a lifesaver. You should never leave your house. I never go to an event without full tops and bottoms. Okay. Rain gear. Like, I might not bring, like the tights but i'll bring those rain pants
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they, they they act as a they they trap heat yeah there's we all know you've got a rain jacket you're going to be hotter than heck so that's mm-hmm. also a survival thing because like i definitely um you know i push limits and cheat certain things but my last question to myself is is like worst case scenario jay what are you going to do and rain gear will get you out of a lot of situations, whether you're hypothermic and things like that, um, in certain environments. Like, um, so, uh, so that is a definite pack. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I use music as a tool. Um, I don't, I consider it just like, yeah, it's a tool because it's an attitude changer. Mm-hmm. So that's more of a psychological thing. But with these long rides, people are like, ah, what are you doing with your mind? You know, that's a pretty common question. And it's like, I always tell people I have a million things to do. So my mind is super busy. Um,
1: yeah. I remember doing not- that in a in a podcast leading up to Arkansas. I forget the term you used, but yeah, your, your mind is going a million miles an hour as you're purely pedaling. So an observer might think all you're doing all day is just riding your bike, but it's a constant inventory. What's working? What am I going to do at the next stop?
0: Yeah. You know, how many calories did I put in? Did I drink recently? Is, is my clock right? You know. And then uh, you know I have this checklist, and then when I'm done with the checklist and on board, like I go through the checklist again because it's probably changed.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and those, you know, and it's and it's really just uh, it comes down to like a lot of basics. It's what you need to do to live on the bike like that and to perform at this optimal level. Mm-hmm. And so you're just constantly monitoring that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of, I guess, really things that stand out. I mean, there's standard kit, but that's standard kit to me, you know, like people are always like, ah, well, what's this? And like, to me, it's just standard. Um, you know, you gotta have layers, you gotta have clothes, you gotta have a hat, um, (laughs) you gotta have uh gloves. Um, but I'm not a weight weaning. Like I'm not like I am a weight weaning, but I'm not. Um, like you said earlier, like I bring what I absolutely need to have to survive and not risk other people's time. Um, and then I'm really thorough with the bike. Um, I love, I love to tinker and mess with the bags and create new ways and look at new ways of carrying things. Uh, I'm a systems guy. um, I was always like that in my work trades as well, in construction. Everything's like a system. Uh Um, So I I spend a ton of time. When I'm preparing for an event, Mm -hmm. the bike will be sitting here, and I'll have kit out, and I'm constantly like kind of moving things around until it's in the perfect spot. Um, And there was a time earlier in my career where I'd actually – put duct tape on all my bags and actually label what was in everything. And I would ride like that. And then if I come home, I change something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm very meticulous that way in my packing. Um, and that pays huge dividends and I just enjoy it. I've, um, I've been fortunate enough and I've, I've helped develop a lot of different bags and different ideas and bags and, um, even products. And so, uh, my mind is always churning on that stuff because I still see this as a young sport and still opportunity within that space. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in bike pack clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, I see some space there and like still within these, uh, we see like even in the soft bag market, everyone's just making the same bags. They all look the same, same concepts, but there's, I think a lot more development to be had there. Um, so I'm not burnt on it yet. It seems like, Um, what I do like, and what I do do is like, I could be really successful doing something in one event, one way. I will not do it that way again, Mm -hmm. because I must play and tinker and change because I will learn from that. Um, and to me, that's like, that's growth within myself and, and I'm okay to be like, well, I changed it and it actually sucked this time. Um, and that actually prevented me from performing how I should have. Well, I learned that Um, and I'm okay with making those decisions and I will take full responsibility for those Uh Um, and not blame things. Like I don't like to blame the equipment on something. I don't like to blame flats on flats. I blame them on me because I was the one that chose the line. (laughs) I was the one that rode over that rock. I got the flat. It's not the bike, uh-huh. um, and I think that's just good stuff.
1: <laughs> I like it. I mean, it's taking ownership. It's accountability, right here. Like, I think that's that's freaking perfect. So, yeah, fitting that today is the first day of winter. And it is the shortest day of the year. It is the winter solstice as of five a.m. I believe Eastern. Uh, you have you have a event this year coming up fat pursuit. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell the listeners what fat pursuit is and what you were doing for 2021.
0: Yeah. Fat pursuit. Um, we started fat pursuit in 2015. It basically come from my love for fat biking and being a competitor, but I was also a big advocate for fat bikes and getting trails open. And, um, I actually got, um, signs changed in our forest service to go from uh no wheeled traffic to no motorized wheeled traffic allowing okay. bikes. So I spent a bunch of time doing that and I felt um to keep going with advocacy work as well as promoting something I loved and educate, I started Fat Pursuit. And so Fat Pursuit is was a strictly a fat bike race, but now it's open to ski and uh walkers, runners. Mm-hmm. Um and we do a 60K and a 200K. And um, this year, due to COVID, we had to change that. And so we turned it into a challenge. I didn't want to cancel it and just walk away because um, I'm so passionate about on um, people, just seeing people out there, having fun, uh, learning in this whole winter environment. You know, there's so many cyclists out there that uh, are really good cyclists. And they are starting to get into fat biking, but they don't have the winter skills. Mm -hmm. So that was a really big reason why I started the event and to help teach these people and talk about it. And I always give tips during the racer meeting and I walk around to every individual and spend time with them and they're asking me about their feet and how do I do this and that? And I love that. And so with changing the event, I was like, well, it made me think back why I started the event. And with those reasons, we kept the event going we changed it to a do it on your own challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it the COVID edition. <laughs> and basically, um, I'm asking people to ride 60 or 200 K, um, outside. Um, I'm not super strict. I say 80% on snow and I just want it to be cold. Um, uh, there again, I just want you to go outside and challenge yourself in a different environment in a different space. Um, winter travel, Um, and we're still doing the same swag like we do. So I'm keeping some, like some things the same, you know, like the 60 K gets the hat, 200 K gets the sweatshirt. Um, we have the noon toast on Sunday still. Um, Uh and people are submitting their routes as well. We're posting them up to the website. Um, so there's a bunch on there already. Um, that's happening daily right now. Um, and then I'm also doing kind of five interactive, uh, webinars. I have, just recorded three videos yesterday. Nice. And so, as part of registration, um, yep, you get your swag. And then we are doing these educational pieces. So, I have three videos that are being uploaded um, that talk about dressing and moisture management. And we always have a special test because a of lot of ultra races, several will give you a, a gear list to carry, but people don't use the gear. Mm-hmm. So, When we launched Fat Pursuit, we incorporated a special test, and that was called the Water Boil Challenge. And Um, at some point in the race, we would make you boil water because to do the 200K, you had to carry a stove. So you get to this point, and it was so awesome. Uh, The first couple of years, you'd see so many people flail, and then people were practicing. And that made me so happy because they came to the event prepared. Uh And I was like, yes, this is working. Um, so I'm still asking you to do that and I would love it. And, but now I think it's even in a better setting because you're not racing. Now there is no time limit. There is no time cutoffs. Uh-huh. So now I'm really encouraging you even the 60 Ks to like, yeah, bring out your camp and stuff, like boil some water on the trail, make yourself some hot cocoa midway. It's going to be awesome. Uh-huh. And if you're doing the 200 K distance, like go roll out a busy, do it as a tour like here in idaho our routes are still open they're public i'm riding it this is the first year i get to ride it and i'm doing it as a tour i'm gonna camp out we're gonna have a bonfire there's gonna be some people here doing it i know this for a Uh fact and um that's fun and then we also have our camp which is right before camp. And those people fat camp and um that's a three-day kind of workshop where we go through all this, spend time, people sleep outside. Um, and they will roll in and do the challenge as well. Um, and so it's a fun time for me, actually. And I'm really like excited about the change of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll do donations to the grooming like I do every year, um, which is great because we rely on the grooming for our event and without having the event, I was like, well, what am I going to do here? So we'll give them some proceeds and, um, I'm psyched and I get to do it myself. Um, yeah. And so camp's full and most people will do it. Rebecca just signed up, you know, she's nervous about sleeping outside. So she wants to kind of practice that. And,
2: um,
0: and, and it's great. And it's, it's, you know, um, camp is like, it's not a physical thing. It's about education. You know, I get a lot of questions like, well, I'm not fit or I can't ride this. And I'm like, you know, we're not out there to like ride big days and crush miles. Like this is an educational atmosphere. We have theory, we go out and practice and mm-hmm. the setting is super cool because like you can sleep outside and if you get cold or you get nervous or water explodes in your sleeping bag, you can actually go back inside and go to sleep. Um, so <laughs> it's. Um, a really safe and, and fun set it. Um, and yeah. I've, we've been doing the camps now for a few years and I just love that a lot. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, low down, a lowdown of fat pursuit. And you can see that on the website. Um, there is a Vermont route that somebody submitted. I don't know if there's going to be a Ted King Vermont route or what's going on, but
1: well, yeah, I mean, I, I had seen the Vermont route. I reached out to you who then connected me to the individual who created that route. Uh, I'm psyched. I'm going to be doing it. Um, And, and I mean, you hit on a really cool point, which is I bought, I, I brought a camp stove along uh, with me to, to Arkansas because again, new to these events, I had a friend point out to me, he's like, when you're waking up on two hours of sleep, the one thing you're going to want in the morning is hot coffee. I'm like, you know what? I'm addicted to coffee. Yeah. He's probably exactly right. So, I brought that along with me and coincidentally I never used it the entire trip. Right. So of course not. Of course not. Like, yeah, you live in the moment. You're like, well, that was a silly thing. But now I have this camp stove and I'm thinking we live in the age of COVID and I like riding two coffee shops on my, on my rides here because they, they are close enough that like they're a perfect (laughs) mid ride stop, grab a coffee. But then also in the age of COVID, so many of these places are closed. So now I'm actually using my stove. I got the, bar bag and i got my stove in there and i'm like stopping on ride to make coffee it's so rad
0: so awesome
1: so you <laughs> love hit that. it on the head yeah if you can learn how to boil water in the middle of your ride you're doing something right especially in high exposure situations
0: yeah and, and it's good and it really does because you're skilling, and, it, and it is fun and you know you do that with a friend or something and and the other thing we did with uh with the pursuit was we gave a time a mm-hmm. timeline like you know, and and I'm a pretty loose guy, like. But I was like, ah, well, we start on the eighth, and that's when I'm going to do it because that's the original date. But we're running it through the end of the month. Yeah. Um. You know, and I just had somebody reach out the other day. They're like, dude, it just dumped on the East Coast. Do you care if I do it early? Do I really care if you do it early? <laughs> no, not really. Like, if go. this is your time to go, go, yeah. please.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is that hits it on the head. It's like, do it in your own backyard. That's what that's what a pandemic has taught us. Like there is so much adventure everywhere. And, and certainly, you know, living in the places that we live are, are more advantageous than others, but there is adventure everywhere. So.
0: Yeah. That's One awesome. of the things I was saying is like, you know, COVID times adventure is not canceled.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Fact. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs>
1: well, you said it a second ago, being cognizant of time. I've taken a yeah. considerable amount of your evening. I've um, been you. very generous with your time both here and in previous conversations, so I really appreciate that. That's about all I got.
0: Cool. Yeah, thanks for the conversation, Ted. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. I wish you a wonderful evening, holiday, end of year 2020, and uh, here's to an even better 2021.
0: Yeah, likewise. Cheers.
1: That's all she wrote. Thanks for tuning in, my friends. Thank you for being part of this podcast, for listening in on this story and all of the King of the Ride stories our guests tell. This is episode number 68. So as I said at the top of the show, whether you're a new listener or old, I thank you. Scroll on back. Listen to what we've got going on over the years. There are some truly incredible stories to hear. Until next time, have a great start of your new year. And as always, Please enjoy the ride.